Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Bible and Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and I am grateful for you and glad you're joining me here on the Bible and Life. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, man, welcome. What a great series you chose to join us in. We've been in the midst of a series exploring what it looks like to live a Jesus-centered life. And if you've been listening for a while and you've been experiencing that series or maybe even earlier teachings beyond that, uh, I pray that you find this teaching super valuable to you and helpful to you as you walk with Jesus. The goal of all of this is not just to get smarter, to know the Bible more. The goal of all of this is to learn the text so we can live the text so that we can become like Jesus right in the midst of our everyday life, wherever we live. And so that's the goal. It's what I call Blue Jeans Theology. So thanks for being here. I'm glad you're joining me on the podcast. Let me mention, before we jump into the content on today's episode, let me mention to you again the listener's commentary. If you're not familiar with it, that's my other podcast where I just teach straight through Bible books. The goal is to provide a commentary, like the kind of commentary you might read in, in a book, right? Like, I want to know what the book of Philippians is about or the book of 1 Peter is about, and you get a commentary, which is a book that guides you through the New Testament books, piece by piece, chunk by chunk. Well, recognizing that more people watch and listen than they do read these days, I decided why not make a commentary that's audio. And so I've created the listener's commentary on the New Testament where I do that. I just teach straight through the books of the Bible, mostly just trying to help us understand what the text is saying in its original context. So I've got that podcast. You can search for it on your podcast player. If you just look, look for the listener's commentary, it should pop up on wherever you listen to your podcast. But in addition to the audio, we have been working for months to try to produce a study hub that can bring together resources that I myself create or articles and links to other resources that I find valuable and trustworthy so that all in one place, you can have a bunch of resources to help you study specific Bible books so that you can understand them more for yourself and then share them in studying with other people, whether that's one-on-one -on -one discipleship, whether that's in a small group Bible study. Pastors are using it for uh, preparing their sermons and things like that. And so I'm trying to, been working really hard to pull together all this material for a study hub. I've got enough in there that we're on the cusp of launching this thing, all right? We're working out final bugs and testing a few final things um, just to make sure it's all ready to go for anyone who wants to get in there. But um, I wanted to let you know about that because if you're interested in studying the Bible for yourself so you can learn it, live it, and share it with others, and you don't want to have to kind of you know, plunk your way all over the internet and hope you're finding something useful. I want to try to bring some stuff together for that at the Listener's Commentary Study Hub. So in a week or less, that should be available at a general level for anybody who wants it. And I'm making that available in, in this was one of the challenging things of building it out, but making it available in just a, as an affordable way as possible. I'm going to do it as pay whatever you can afford. Uh, so if you can only afford five bucks, pay five bucks a month. If you can, uh, if you can afford more than that, then pay more than that to offset the cost. And the reason for that is because I don't want a paywall to keep um, anyone from being able to have access to these kind of resources. And so I just want to make it as affordable as possible. It costs to host this stuff. It takes tons of energy and time to create and find and build this stuff. So there is a cost to it, but I'm trying to keep it as minimal as possible 
and as affordable as possible. So if that sounds like it could be useful and helpful to your life, or it could be useful and helpful to your ministry, then keep your eyes and ears open for the Listener's Commentary Study Hub. Uh, within a week, it should be available. If you're a subscriber to my website and you get my emails, I will notify you via email when that is available. So be keeping an eye out for that. All right, with that little announcement, let's jump into what we want to talk about today here on Jesus Centered Part 9. And we made a shift last week on the podcast from talking about what it means to live a Jesus centered life to how can we do that? Uh, and we talked in last week's episode about use the image of a bicycle wheel and how all the roles and responsibilities we play in our life are very spokes of that wheel. If we want to live Jesus-centered, we've got to make sure all those spokes are properly and increasingly attached to Jesus and his teaching. Now, in this episode, I want to continue thinking about what does it mean to live a Jesus-centered life. And I want to set that up with this statement. It's a well-known statement from one of my spiritual, one of my favorite spiritual writers, and that name is Dallas Willard. So here's something Dallas Willard is famous for saying. He said, grace is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. And that is such a crucial distinction. Grace is opposed to earning a right relationship with God, to earning our justification, to earning all that God has for us. No, grace is opposed to that. It's all a gift of his grace. But grace isn't opposed in following Jesus and in living the Christian life. Grace, grace isn't opposed to effort. And the reason that's so important is because it takes effort to follow Jesus. Living for Jesus is not going to happen on accident. It's not going to be something that we just all of a sudden wake up one morning and think, well, look at that, I'm, I'm living a Jesus-centered life. No, it's going to take some effort on our part. Uh, and the reason for that is because there are two different kingdoms that coexist uh, side by side on planet Earth, right? You have the kingdom of man and you have the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God. And those two kingdoms overlap uh, and sometimes get intertangled with each other here on Earth. And that means that this world in which we live in is contested territory. Um, it's, it's not just like and one of the ways I like to say it is not a playground, it's a battleground. It's contested territory that there is the kingdoms of the powers of darkness, the kingdoms of man and the powers of darkness uh, and the kingdom of God. And they're vying for, for control of our life. Um, and you and I have learned over the course of living in this world, over the course of just being inundated uh, with messages and ideas from the culture around us, from the kingdom of man all around us, you and I have learned ways of thinking and habits of acting from the, from the kingdom of man. They, they, just, they just are all around us, and we just kind of absorb them, and we don't even always realize it. And so there's things we're going to have to unlearn if we're going to follow Jesus. There's new ideas we're going to have to figure out and absorb and figure out what it means to live according to those new ideas. We're just not going to be able to coast into a Jesus-centered life. Um, a certain level of resistance to the kingdom of man is needed. A resolute standing firm is going to be required. 
an intentional relearning of a new culture, the culture of the kingdom of heaven, well, that's going to be required of us, new ways of being and new ways of acting. It's what I referred to as re-socializing on a series earlier on this podcast in 2020. I think it begins around episode 106, and I had a whole series on relearning a new culture, being re-socialized to the culture of Jesus' kingdom in the midst of the culture that's all around us. So we're going to have to learn how to follow Jesus in this present world, and that's just going to take some energy and effort on our part, and grace isn't opposed to that. In fact, grace will empower that effort, but we're still going to have to make some effort. Listen to some ways various writers of the New Testament put this. Here's the Apostle John. This is from 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, or verses 15 through 17. It says this, Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away, and so are its lusts. But the one who does the will of God continues to live forever. That Here we have this idea of this contested reality that there's the world, the world's system, the world's culture, the world's values, and then there's God's ways, and they're not the same. And so we can't love the world in its ways if we want to actually love God in his ways. And that's going to take some effort to figure out how to live that way, right? Or here's James, the brother of Jesus, in James chapter 4, verses 7 through the first half of verse 8. It says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's effort language, right? There's resisting, there's drawing near, there's arranging ourselves under God. That takes some effort. Or here's the way the Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Paul says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And that word translated discipline is actually the word we get our English word gymnasium from. In other words, Work out, get physically fit, spiritually speaking. It's gumnazo in Greek is the verb. It's gymnasium, right? Like they had gyms in the ancient world uh, that they were familiar with and they could go work out and get in shape. Well, Paul is basically saying that's what you need to happen for the sake of godliness. You got to get in shape so you can live a godly life. That implies effort. Then he actually reflects on that a bit in verse eight. He says, because bodily training, going to the gym for the sake of physical fitness is uh, slightly beneficial, but godliness is beneficial for all things because it holds promise both for the present life as well as for the life to come. So discipline yourself. Get in shape, spiritually speaking. Or again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul speaks very personally about his own life as an apostle and as a preacher and about the effort that he applied to trying to live for God in this world. He uses, again, the imagery of athletics, and he talks about runners uh, running only for the prize, right? That, that you got to run in such a way that you want to win, right? Or he talks about a wrestler or a boxer and how they train in order to be in shape so that they can win. And then Paul says in verse 27, So I strictly discipline my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others... 
I myself will not be disqualified. Paul is saying, I want to be like an athlete who trains and disciplines himself and works hard to stay in shape and can control this body so that this body does what I want it to do so that I won't be disqualified in this effort. And so all of this speaks of effort. All of this speaks of wise, intentional effort or deliberate, intentional effort. And obviously, that means effort in the moment of struggle, right? Like, if you're going to use the imagery that Paul uses of athletics, right? There's that moment of struggle. It's the, all right, it's the it's now the track meet. Your event is, is up, and you've got whatever it is. You're going to run the 200, or you're going to run uh, the 1500, or whatever event you're going to run. There's going to be effort implied in that moment of the contest, right? It's a basketball game, and all of a sudden, you got to perform to the best of your ability in the moment of that basketball game whatever it is, right? So it, the effort means effort in the moment of struggle, sure. But if we stick with Paul's athletic imagery, um, there's efforts not only in the moment of the race or effort in the wrestling match itself, there's also effort beforehand so that you're prepared for the race. Um, there's training ahead of time. And that's what Paul has in mind. I strictly discipline my body. I'm training I'm preparing so when the moment of temptation, when the moment of struggle comes, when the moment of needing to endure, when the moment of needing to be faithful comes, I'm in shape and I can actually do what I need to do. And so uh, any good athlete that wants to do well trains and prepares well ahead of the time before the game or the race or the event. And the same is true with so many other things. The musician, right? You watch somebody who's super skilled at playing a guitar they didn't just pick up the guitar in that moment and boom, they could all of a sudden apply the proper effort and they could play the guitar beautifully. No, they've been training the fingers and the muscle memory for a long time, where to position the fingers for the, the chords and all of that. And they can do it without thinking because they're well trained, right? There is effort and preparation before uh, the moment of struggle, the moment of performance, right? Well, that's true for following Jesus. So living this, I really want you to catch this, all right? So living a Jesus-centered life presupposes wise, intentional effort that trains us to resist the devil and not love the world, but instead to draw near to God and to live for him. Did you catch that? That living a Jesus-centered life takes wise, intentional effort. And that's going to train us to resist the kingdom of man and the kingdom of the powers of darkness. And instead, it's going to train us to live in and live out the kingdom of God and his ways in this world. And here's what I want to highlight uh, on this particular episode then in this regard. We'll talk about more about what, what's involved in that training in next week's episode. Okay, But uh, in this episode, I just want to highlight some obstacles. Um, that it requires training to do this, and we need to be aware in our quest to leave a, uh, live a Jesus-centered life that there are some obstacles that get in the way of this kind of training, obstacles that get in the way of living this ways. Uh, these are some real common strategies used by the devil to keep us from really training and living effectively for the kingdom of God. So let me just mention a few, okay? First one is this, distraction. I think distraction is a huge way the devil, over the course of history of God's people, he has used distraction in just so many ways to actually keep us 
from really following the way of Jesus and learning the way of Jesus. And we live in a time and place in history where distraction is at an all-time high. It's right there at our fingertips on our phones, right? Uh, you're probably using your phone right now to listen to this, um, but our phone just gets in the way. It's so easy for us in any moment to just pick up our phone and begin to scroll through Instagram or whatever social media uh, we like to use. It's so easy to just pick up our phone and you know, watch a video on YouTube or whatever it is. We're highly distracted by our phones or by all the streaming apps that we can watch whatever show we want to watch whenever we want it. And so we're a highly distracted people. And we don't know how to focus super well because of that. We don't really have mental downtime much, right? Like uh, there's a form of undistraction that actually can help us just hear God, get in touch with ourselves, to be still and to be quiet, right? Silence and solitude has been a classic spiritual discipline because we need that. Um, and we need to then, if the devil could keep us just distracted by so many other things, We'll never really learn God's ways, and we'll never really listen to his voice. We'll never learn his word. So distraction. We're going to have to resist distraction and find ways to do that if we're going to learn the way of Jesus in this current world. Another obstacle that I want to highlight is busyness. Uh, busyness, again, keeps us from being able to slow down and pay attention to God. Slow down and pay attention to what's going on in our own heart and soul. Busyness sometimes can keep us from really paying attention to our kind of our knee-jerk reactions to certain things that happen in life and realize, why do I react that way? And then try to figure that out or maybe get someone to help us figure out why, why we react certain ways. Um, busyness can be just a way of running from thing to thing to thing to um, kind of mask over our own discontentment in life. Um, and so we're just busy, 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 perpetually going. That's one of the things I appreciate about Pete Cazero's work on emotionally healthy spirituality, that there's this need for a slowed down spirituality if we're actually going to put off uh, the habits that we've learned from the kingdom of man and put on the habits of Christ-likeness. And so we're going to have to resist busyness and just constantly filling our schedule with so many things where we're going, 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 doing, 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 and we're not actually letting our internal life be shaped by God and His Word and the Spirit. Now, what'll sound almost like the op opposite of busyness is another distraction, and that is slothfulness. That's an old word, but I chose it intentionally because I think it's helpful to us. Slothfulness means this... Um, it's related to laziness. It's related to, instead of being so busy, it's just related to not wanting to put forth any effort. It's wanting everything to come easy. It's not being diligent, right? Like Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, that applying all diligence, add to your faith knowledge and to your knowledge uh, godliness and to your uh, godliness moral excellence or virtue and to that uh, you know, brotherly love and so on and so forth. So that's going to take all diligence. Well, that's the opposite of slothfulness. And slothfulness gets in the way of diligence and effort. Uh, and um, intentionally, right, this is going to take wise intentional effort, uh, deliberate intentional effort. So if we want to live a Jesus-centered life, we can't be slothful. We're going to have to be diligent. We're going to have to have some habits and figure out some of those things. And all of us are at different stages of life. All of us are wired differently. 
Um, and so we're going to have to figure out what works for us personally and what works for our stage of life, right? Like when you have small kids at home, it's going to look different than when you don't have kids at home. Uh, if you have a lot of alone time, um, then it's going to look different than if you almost have no alone time. We're just going to have to figure this out, and it's going to take a lot of grace, right? That we enter into this with an attitude of experimentation, but we can't be slothful. We're going to have to be intentional, put some intentional effort into it. Um, and figure out what's just going to work in our life situation with our temperament, with our wiring. How can we intentionally pursue becoming like Jesus? And then, um, I guess this next one is an obstacle. It's kind of related to slothfulness, but I'm going to make it a separate category, and that's that failure to plan. Uh, an obstacle to um, becoming like Jesus and to be living a Jesus-centered life is failure to plan. Um, that we, we just kind of want it to happen. We don't want to get real specific or concrete. And we're going to have to have some sort of plan. This is going to take intentional effort, not just, you know, random effort. It's going to take deliberate effort. And again, it's going to look different for you and for me, um, you know, for because we're different. We live in different places, different cultures, uh, with different rhythms. We have different temperaments, right? Different seasons of life. Um, we've, we're, we're just going to have to have a plan that fits us and who we are and our situation in life. When I was um, in college, for example, my Bible and reading plan, my Bible reading and praying plan was to do it the last thing before bed. And so most evenings before I went to bed, I took a little bit of time to read about a chapter out of the Bible and pray about what I read. And uh, then when I, I life got a little busier and we started having kids, that did not work as well for me. Uh, and so it had to become the morning uh, before life got too crazy. And so for, for a long time, that's just the way it's been for me now. Is I, It's just the first thing I do in the morning. I get up in the morning, I read my Bible, and I pray about what I read. That's just part of my plan, right? Um, at different times, we'll need other plans. There was a time where it's like, I really feel the need, like I just need to get a grasp of the whole big Bible picture. And so I'm not one to do Bible reading plans well. Like a year... A read the Bible in a year plan, man, I have tried. It doesn't work for my temperament. just doesn't. So uh, I wanted to, you know, get more of the Old Testament, so I found something that worked for me. Uh, what I did was I just wrote all the books of the Old Testament uh, on a sheet of paper, and I used that sheet of paper as the bookmark, and when I finished a particular book, I'd write the date on it, and I'd, you know, go to another one. Uh, my father-in-law, on the other hand, I don't know for how many years he did this. I'm, he may still be doing it. Uh, at least 10, 15 years. He read through the whole Bible in a year. He's very predictable, very rhythmic. It worked great for him. He wakes up at the same time every morning without an alarm clock, does the exact same thing, has pretty much the same routine. He's just a very routine person. It worked great for him, a Bible in a year program. So we're going to have to figure out a plan for putting on Christ's likeness. It's just not going to happen on accident, it's going to take wise, intentional effort. And those things I just listed off are some obstacles that we're going to have to deal with. Distraction, busyness, slothfulness, failure to plan, or an unwillingness to plan. We're going to have to deal with some of those things and figure out something that's going to work for our personality, our station of life, our temperament. And we're going to have to apply some wise, intentional effort that's going to be fueled and empowered by the grace of God and His Spirit within us so that we can actually put on Christ-likeness. It's not going to happen on accident. And so um, my encouragement as we pursue a Jesus-centered life is, what is 
your plan for becoming like Jesus. Now, in next week's episode, I want to talk about some components of that plan and some things that will help us plan well. Um, but we, we're going to need to be intentional in how we do that in order to actually become like Jesus. All right, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible in Life podcast. And special thanks to all of you who, through your uh, generous donations, make this ministry possible. God bless you for that. I pray that you and I and each one of us intentionally and deliberately pursues Jesus with our whole being, applying all diligence so that we can live for him in the midst of this world and bring him honor and glory. God bless you guys. I look forward to talking to you again.